Root Insurance puts you in control. Root is a new type of car insurance that uses the sensors in your smartphone to look deeper than other insurers. Here's how it works. Download the Root app, hit the road, and we'll take care of the rest. The app measures your driving behavior, like turning and braking, and gives you a custom rate based primarily on your driving. The better you drive, the better your rate, meaning good drivers could save hundreds. Visit joinroot.com today to get started. Disclaimers may apply. See joinroot.com for details. You're listening to Fucks Given, the one with Dr. Andrea. Hello, curious fuckers. I'm Reed. And I'm Florence. And together we're Come Curious. When we're not just fucking around on YouTube and Instagram. Every Thursday, we invite a new guest onto Fucks Given to talk about their best fucks, worst fucks, and the fucks that made them. We also answer your sex questions and read out your sex stories. So stay tuned as we divulge all the delicious details. Hello and welcome. Hello. Thanks for being here, Andrea. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah. Oh, doggo. Oh, you've got a dog a with you. Doggo. Oh, it's like all actual conversation goes out the window. All we care about is dog. <laughs> well, normally when I'm like leading a guided meditation, the dog will come in and say, oh, I want some of that good vibes. But she must know what our conversation's about because she's like, I want on your lap right now. <laughs> yeah. She's like, things are about to get really cozy. Oh, really nice. <laughs> so, Andrea, please tell our curious fuckers a little bit about yourself. <laughs> well, I am a medical doctor and acupuncturist. Mm. I'm from the United States, but I live in the south of France. And nice. I got here on a kind of a crazy journey of the soul, learning to find my... <laughs> my true self. Mm -hmm. And before I came to live in France, um, my medical practice was really around what we call personalized medicine. And that just mm -hmm. means that we dial in to know exactly who you are, what your world circumstance is like, what your hormones are like. Yeah. And as a, an age management medicine doctor, um, one of the things that we care about is your libido. Like I, yes. want, you, I want my patients having good sex up until their eighth or ninth decade of life. Amazing. And I love that. Yes. <laughs> I feel like that's not really spoken that much. When you think about doctors and like medical, you don't really think that people put that much emphasis on sex when it comes to like, I don't know, general, general health and mental health as well. No, absolutely not. I mean, as a physician, I can tell you in my training, basic training, no, we don't, yeah. we don't talk about it unless you went into that as a specialty. But yeah. I got certified in age management and hormone optimization after I completed uh, my residency. And again, our focus is on expanding your health span, not just your lifespan. Mm. Of course, I do want you to live longer, but I want you to live longer better. And that includes enjoying a, a robust sex life. <laughs> yeah. So what was interesting is that um, I work a lot in media and television, and I got invited to speak on this show called The Dr. Oz Show in America. Yeah. And the, the, the segment was about the symptoms that women over 40 should never ignore. Mm. And one of the symptoms that women should not ignore is a low libido. And the surprising thing behind it is if your, your sex drive is waning, 
Now, a lot of women will just say, oh, it's because I'm busy, or I've got exams, or I've got the kids, or whatever. But if that persists over time, I mean, of course, if you're having relationship drama, your sex drive may go away as well. Mm -hmm. But it, it can also be a sign of internal issues. It could mm -hmm. be a hormone imbalance. It could be high blood sugar. It could be low blood sugar, like diabetes. It could mm -hmm. be um, poor nerve conduction. And yeah. so um, I, when I was on this show, I told the audience that I want my patients to have at least three orgasms a week. That's the minimum, <laughs> not the maximum. And yes. after that, people just started writing to me and emailing me and calling me about their orgasms. And I'm like, wait, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it's my homework. You must give me a grade. <laughs> right? So I ended up putting everything I know about the female orgasm into this yeah. book, The Orgasm Prescription for Women. And Amazing. Uh, I got to come to your lovely country. I was in the UK for mm -hmm. my birthday and appeared oh, yeah. on, uh, what is it called? This Morning with Phil Yes. Oh, so, like that is yeah. like classic, great British content. <laughs> it really is. You know, like it everyone is. loves it. You can't go wrong with it. It's yeah. the one that's respected and nobody hates. Everyone's <laughs> but, mums listens to that. Yeah. And yeah. that was a problem because they scheduled my segment for like 11.30 in the morning. Oh, they tried yeah. to push it as late as possible, and they got complaints. They were like, oh, oh yeah. how dare you have someone talking about orgasm in the morning? My children <laughs> might hear. <laughs> like, dude, I was like, okay, the Brits are a little bit buttoned up, huh? Oh, my, yeah, it is mad. Like, Ofcom must have a field day because the amount of, we'll complain about anything, absolutely anything we just love it we like we're just unhappy people we're like yep no not happy about this so i'll call queue and i'll drink my tea but i hate my tea and i hate queuing it's just like fuck yeah yeah, yeah. that's really interesting though so like why is it three orgasms a week well again it's, it comes back to if you really find that i, I can forgive a week if you're not just feeling it because you've yeah. been super busy or you were sick or whatever or your partner's yeah. sick but if it persists it, there, there really can be uh, health issues that, again, women will tend to ignore because we tend to be caretakers for everyone, our business, yes. our home, our family, the kids, the in-laws, the, the pets. We put ourselves kind of last on the list, if we yeah. even get on the list at all. And so we overlook a lot of symptoms. And libido just seems like a nice thing to have mm -hmm. but it's yeah. a really good barometer of your internal health and so if you notice that going you might notice that before you'll notice that your blood pressure is off mm -hmm. so i say if you if you see that you're not having those orgasms it could be psychological you may have too much on your mind you're laying in bed and you're looking at the ceiling and going through your to-do list or yeah. you're critiquing your body i mean there's a whole we can get into the the whole host of reasons why mm -hmm women in particular don't have orgasms. But putting those things aside, as a medical doctor, I still want people to think, let me make sure that my physiology is working right. Yeah. And so if you're not having uh, those orgasms, then we need to talk about it. What's interesting as well is that it's so normalized for women to have like hardly any libido. Like yeah. in a general media, it's like men have a really high libido yeah. and they want sex all the time. And women are the ones that are like actually never want to have sex. And they're always the one making up excuses. Like that is like the general gist of female pleasure. Is but that it's actually, not real. We're not that into that. Mm -hmm. Every single friend that I have, a female friend, 
we are all sex crazed. Like we all love sex. Yeah. I don't have any female friends that have a low libido. Not everyone though, because we don't want to ostracize people who don't, who may be asexual or who maybe don't have a higher libido than. Because I have a couple of friends who like maybe want to wank once a week, and that's it. You know, and I don't think there's anything necessarily potentially wrong with them, but there could be something psychological, something physical could be wrong um but could I, be the I, relationship i mean because if your relationship is kind of stale and dry or la- I mean, lack that's... of relationship yeah that too okay so let's talk about sex what was your first relationship like with sex education um isn't this supposed to be the safe format i don't have to tell my shit <laughs> <laughs> But when, like, when, how did you start, like, maybe in terms of your work, like, what, what drew your interest to libido and sex and what went from, like, your medical history of education into a more interest in sex and libido and all of that? Yeah. Well, I I can share a little bit of the personal side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm I'm quite modest. Maybe I should be (laughs) an honorary Brit after all. Well, actually, my mother mother is from British Guyana. And she she, um, did her nursing school in England before she moved to America. Amazing. But what's interesting is that my mom, she's, you know, got this feisty flair about her. And so sex was never a taboo topic at home. Yeah, um, it's not like I, I don't even remember having the talk mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. sex with my mom, but it was just never, you know, I heard her. She was a physician. She became a physician after nursing and she would talk about her patient's sex lives like it was just anything else. Like what what, yeah. you know, what was your meal like last night? And, you know, anything else. <laughs> so I think when I started doing the training for age management and they led us down this whole training path of sexuality. It was like, oh, well, okay, this makes a whole lot of sense. Um, it, it was, it, But I have to admit, it's kind of awkward to start asking people about their sex lives if you haven't been yeah. trained in it. So then I went down in this path of becoming a sex educator because there are a lot of taboos that still, including in America, that yeah. a lot of people are, are like fucked up, you know, in the head with what they think they deserve. Well, this this will also relate to the UK. I'm sorry I had to pick on you guys, but <laughs> please do. We love it. On that show um, this morning with Phil and Holly, I was on on a Monday. Over the weekend, they surveyed some of their viewers and asked them about their orgasm history. Mm-hmm. And there was, I think it was over 70% of women who responded said they feel guilty if they have an orgasm. Oh my goodness. What? Can so you imagine? Because women, many women around the world still have this thing like, I'm not supposed to enjoy pleasure. I'm not <gasps> supposed to, you know, release and, and, and surrender to these waves of passion. So it's a crazy thing. You know, when you become a sex educator, you realize, gosh, there's so much that we've been programmed yeah. to believe and, and to feel ashamed of. Uh, it's incredible. Yeah. That's why mad. do you why do you think personally like how why is it so important to open up the conversation about sex? Cuz it's a part of life. It's a part of our whole <laughs> vitality. 
I mean, look, yeah. none of us would would be here if it weren't for some kind of sex. Yeah. <laughs> Even if right? you were a test tube baby, someone had to get the sperm out. Okay, there uh, yeah. was some kind of a. An <laughs> I swear, act. I swear, everything is sex driven. Everything we do, whether or not it's selling a product to procreating to it just that's it just revolves around everything. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's a part of our life. It's a part of our vitality, and that. That erotic energy, that sexual energy, is meant to flow.、Mm-hmm. And when we start to repress it and hide it and feel shameful about it, that energy is going to manifest in some way or another, either in through a perversion or through some sort of internal distress and anxiety. So、yeah. it is important for us to have these conversations so that people, you know, in particular women, can reclaim their right to pleasure and reclaim their right、mm. to orgasm.、Uh, it's so important. Yeah, because there still is like there is a lot of shame around sex,、mm-hmm. and that's mad that、um, all those women felt guilty for、yeah. having an orgasm.、Oh, I'm so sad for them. I, we were never we were never taught about pleasure when it came to sex education, like at all. And、um, actually, there was a huge drama in the UK recently in the press、mm-hmm. where there's this YouTuber blogger who has this like lifestyle website called Zoella,、um, and she. Decided that she was going to do an article on female pleasure, sex toys, and before that article's out, she was part of our educational GCSE curriculum. And when they saw that she had posted an article about female pleasure and sex, she they took her out of the educational curriculum.、Wow. Disgraceful, absolutely disgraceful. Yeah, which、wow. sends like such a bizarre message, like、mm-hmm. to everyone. But basically, women are not allowed to、yeah. feel pleasure during sex because we get. We talk about the male ejaculation, but then again, I think it's just pleasure in general, right? I mean, yes, we、mm. associate that the male ejaculation is pleasure of some sort, but it's it's always so、yeah. cold and clinical. We don't actually talk about male pleasure either. What turns you on? Like, do you like your n- nipples being played with? That kind of stuff. I, I know that women are less spoken about when it comes to pleasure, but definitely men、yeah. as well. There's just, I think, sex ed is just really messed up all over the world. Needs、yeah. a massive、yeah. change. I agree. Yeah. Well, it's also the conversation around if we're not talking about pleasure, then the that's when the consent conversation gets muddy as well. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think we can do as a society? And like, just talking to our friends, like, how can we progress the conversation around sex and make it more of a normal thing? To make talking about orgasms in the in the morning a normal thing. Yeah, I think it's it's by doing what you guys are already doing. Having these conversations,、mm. we have to normalize it by getting into that uncomfortable position until the uncomfortable feels comfortable.、Mm-hmm. So、yeah. I, th- I would say to anyone listening, you know, go to your your best mate and say, "Oh my God, I just heard this doctor say that、yeah. I should be having three orgasms a week." <laughs> hey, what's what's your tally so far? You know, <laughs> like if we could just get. Even if it's weird and we make it kind of funny, I think the more that we normalize these conversations and asking questions, and admitting、yeah. when we're when we've got our own hangups, I think people will be more likely to get better help. Because I mean, if we want to talk about sex education, unfortunately, most most young people are being educated through porn. Like yeah. that's yeah. their sex ed,、mm-hmm. and that is、uh-huh. not realistic. Like, <laughs> dude, not in the slightest. It's not. And it's not because they're choosing to be educated through porn. It's like that is the only way they're going to find out because no one else is teaching them a different way.、Yeah. Uh, the game changer for me. I'll be honest. I think the game changer 
in my own sexual expansion was probably somewhere in my medical training. Mm -hmm. I think, okay. again, when I did start to look at the body and the brain and sexuality through a different lens, I mean, like, for example, when you recognize that orgasm happens in the brain. Yeah. Not in, not in your genitals. Like, for, for me, it was like, oh. Like, that just sort of, like, was a game changer. It was like, I have to allow myself, I have to give myself permission to let those waves of pleasure get up to the brain and then not shut them down. Like, mm -hmm. the brain is the little yeah. relay station that says, is this a good thing? Should we keep going? Or, no, 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 shut it down. And I think that was a game changer for me because it was like, I don't have to rely on my partner to have mad skills in bed. I mean, that's a bonus. <laughs> that's a plus. <laughs> but I can take control of my orgasm. And that's yeah. what I'm, you know, inspiring people to do around the world. Like, yeah. Yeah. I really relate to that as well. I think we've all probably been in that situation when we're either masturbating or having sex and you feel the orgasm growing and you feel something growing and then something happens in your brain where you do completely shut it down and you lose all of that sensation that Everything. was just building for the last yeah. like five minutes. You're like, like it goes great. completely numb and you're just like, what What have I done wrong? I've, I've <laughs> masturbated this way since I was a teenager. <laughs> Why is it not working? Right. And there's a lot of pressure around orgasming um, in the bedroom as well. Mm -hmm. Like we all want to finish sex with an orgasm. Yeah. So, and also a lot of partners, like they really like, strive to give you an orgasm that puts pressure on you because you're like oh god I don't want to make you feel upset by not <laughs> yeah. giving right. me an orgasm right. but now I'm thinking about orgasming like way too much there was a situation recently where someone was going um the guy I'm seeing is going was going down on me and it was the first time I'd seen him in a while and I just got so in my head that he was I'm sure he was there for like 45 minutes and I didn't <laughs> I couldn't come because <laughs> he was trying really hard bless him but like there was just something in my head that that was not clicking. Yeah, it's that permissive cycle. Like the brain, you need permission. And yeah. it's also that interpretation. Like we have to interpret signals in the environment, signals in our body, signals from our partner. Mm. Like there's a part of the brain that needs to know, is this, is this okay? And am I okay, you know, in yeah. my body? Mm -hmm. Is my apartment okay? Or am I like, you know, critiquing even, you know, the piles of uh, unfolded laundry or what have you. Like, <laughs> All of that can literally, you know, tell the brain, like, shut it down, shut it down, yeah. shut it down. As, as a professional, a medical professional, what are your tips for kind of getting rid of those barriers? Well, there, in my book, there's actually a 21-day program for mm -hmm. erotic bliss. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I also have a free version online. Well, one of the things I, I really want people to do is first tune into the senses because a lot of us stay so much in our head that we don't appreciate certain feelings. And, yeah. and so we, we can actually you know, start foreplay long before our partner is even in the picture mm -hmm. by turning on our senses. And so in this 21-day program, for example, it's not all you know, sexually related. It can be just tuning in to your, your sense of sight, like really appreciating colors or textures, tastes, smells, if we start to do that and we start to allow the sense of pleasure to be there, we can retrain those brain circuits. 
Yeah. Then, of course, there's plenty that I, I offer in the, in the 21 days about feeling pleasure and feeling that, that erotic energy start flowing. But that's mm. the number one thing because most, particularly women, women stay in the head when they need to be fully embodied in mm -hmm. the body. Yeah. And so the more that you can tune into the senses and, and appreciate them, the more you can turn on that circuitry. Yeah. It's like exercising a muscle, right? So you just exactly. Just gotta, you know, get your vag to the gym. Yeah, and I guess it's the same. Like people, people just get in their head, and the more you get in your head, the harder it is to get out of it. And I think quite often we get a lot of questions from people, um, just like I've I've never had an orgasm. I can't orgasm. Is there's very like negative um, wording around it all and. Like definitely like people have, you can see that in their writing, they put up the barrier because mm -hmm. they're, they're te like, they're just like, it won't happen. It can't happen. It's so hard not to though. Like I've, I've only ha been able to orgasm a handful of times from oral and I, I still yeah. get caught in my head and I'm like, but I'm knowledgeable. I know that I'm putting up barriers <laughs> of myself, but how do I stop this? Um, I have faith that it will happen. One day I'll be able to come like that just from oral. That would be, that would be wonderful. I'm working on it. I'm going to that vag gym, I swear. So what are your sex and relationship hacks? The advice to our listeners for good sex and good relationships. Well, one of the first ones that we've already sort of talked about is mm. particularly directed towards women. Mm -hmm. And that is to take responsibility for your O. It's not your partner's responsibility. Yes. Not. Totally Absolutely not. Nobody gives you an orgasm. Mm -hmm. No, mm -hmm. you, you have can, one. You can take yourself. one. You can have one. You can allow, <laughs> but no, no one gives it to you. They just get to participate in the, in the, yeah. in the joy. But that's really one of the first things is is reclaiming the authority over your pleasure, because yeah. then you can orient yourself. And and you know, like you were saying, Reed, if there's stuff going on in your head, then start to investigate that. Like in 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 the orgasm prescription, I invite people to do kind of a. a family history like where did you get your programming around sex and pleasure mm. like for those people who feel like uh, I don't deserve pleasure you know mm. or I have to work or earn the right to pleasure mm. you need to investigate that and then reprogram your subconscious mind like Ooh, literally yeah. I want to I really want to do like a therapy session on that that'd be so interesting <laughs> <gasps> unlocking all that crap yes exactly yes <laughs> um I think the other the other hack I would highly recommend is like breath work and meditation. Yes. Mm. Woohoo. Because one of the things I shared on that show is that I, I have many clients who do this. It is possible for you to have an orgasm without any touch. Like not you touching you or your partner touching you there. What? Through breath work, through, you know, feeling those energies and allowing it to come, literally. Wow. Um, and I'm, so imagine, <laughs> How do we do that? imagine that just through breath work, you can get to that big O without, yeah, well, it's I've, absolutely possible. I've heard about energy orgasms. We've had people on talking about energy orgasms. So I'm, I imagine it is just the power of the mind and, and what yeah. you can do. Oh, it's so interesting. Is there like a specific technique with the breathing? Where can our where can our listeners find out this this little snippet? Yeah, just let me get my notebook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 21daysofbliss.com. 
21daysofbliss.com. Um, so basically, it's, it's learning to just do uh, mm. basic breathing, but also tuning into your body. So yeah. even if we, let's just, you know, go very neutral. A lot of times when we're teaching meditation, you know, we talk about visualizing light, you know, light coming into your head and bringing relaxation to your body. Mm-hmm. Once you start to learn how to move your attention with your breath, you can literally be bringing energy up, 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 you know, to your head, to your brain. So from whatever yeah. part of your body and directing that energy you know, yes. to, to specific parts of your body. When you learn how to do that, that in and out of the breath and in and out of the energy, it's like the in and out of, you know. Wow. Um, so yeah, breath work, <laughs> meditation, golden. Yeah, and what's really funny is that it's actually the perfect time to be practicing all of these things. I was talking to my therapist a couple of weeks ago about it. Mm-hmm. He was saying, look, we're in, we are locked in and stuff. So it's our opportunity to, you know, go within ourselves rather than be doing like all the activities outwardly. Let's like take this opportunity to really find stuff inside of our body. Um, and we have, I guess we have the time now to to lay on our beds and meditate and also to, you know, breathe orgasms. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a perfect opportunity to get really tuned into your body and your energy and, and work through those psychological blocks if there are any. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So if you could give yourself any advice when you were younger, when it comes to sex and relationships, what would it be? Hmm. Enjoy it more. You know, I think certainly when when we were young, when I was younger, it was all about, you know, what does it mean? You know? Yeah. Uh, Which is still, I think, good advice. I mean, I don't advocate for like totally meaningless hookups. Yeah. You know, that's everyone's choice. But I think for me, it, it, there was a lot of that mental gymnastics, like, well, what does this mean? Well, are we going steady? And what's going to happen next? And, and, and then it wasn't even this, on the purest yeah. level, it wasn't even a pleasurable exchange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, it's like some people and like relationships and labels, that puts so much pressure on sex when actually we should just be enjoying the connection that you have that person not trying to mold it into what society has told us that we all need I I, I always like feel really like oppressed by how we've learned to do relationships mm. um because there's always this like weird like niggling feeling that like are you in a relationship? Where's this going? Need some labels. Like, exactly. But like, that's not healthy when mm-hmm. it comes to connections with people because you really like just want to enjoy it as it comes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, literally. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So this week's sex question is, in October, I, brackets, female, moved in with my boyfriend of two years. We are monogamous. We love each other in brackets I hope sad face oh and neither of us have lived with a partner before the first month was fine with a little bit less sex than our usual but three months later and we have stopped having sex and are starting to drift apart we have had several conversations about why this is he said that he didn't want to have sex with me at the moment because of lockdown blues and performance anxiety he said that the performance anxiety was due to me repeatedly trying to initiate sex but i only try once a week and then back off and he says no 
Living together has also shown me that he is quite lazy, sleeps till 3pm all day, <laughs> plays video games at night, and I find this to be a little bit of a turn off. I, I know I shouldn't judge his behaviour because of the living we're living in strange times. However, the laziness in combo with him not wanting to have sex and his general grumpiness towards me is making it really hard to feel loved and like we are in a relationship. For example, I go to hug him and he re- regularly pushes me off. <gasps> He asked me to go and sit in the other room sometimes in the evening. That's <laughs> when we communicate about this distance, he says he will try better, never does. And I ended up just feeling like I'm telling him off. What, sh- what do you think? Should I keep fighting for this or get out? God almighty. Ooh. I relate to this. This sounds like my last relationship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. It just well, sounds when like... It sounds, what it sounds like is a mismatch of attachment styles. You know, Mm. I'm sure you guys have already talked a little bit about attachment styles based on the work of uh, Bowlby, who was a a British uh, doctor. And basically, when we're young people, when we're babies, as children, we develop an attachment style based on how our caregivers were. If your mother and father nurtured you and cared for you and looked after you, they attended to your cries, then we tend to develop a healthy attachment with our, you know, caregiver. And that generally leads to how do we react as adults. And it sounds like in this situation, her guy is more of the avoidant or ambivalent attachment style. And those Mm -hmm. are the kids that they didn't form a good bond with their their mom or caregiver, primary caregiver. And so in these situations that the uh, doctors put them in, they would put them in these strange situations where they're in a lab and they're there with, uh, in in the original study, it was always the mother. Child is with mom. A researcher who the child doesn't know walks into the room. Mom and researcher talk. Mom leaves the room and baby and and researcher are in the room. Mm -hmm. And they're looking through a a mirror to see how does the child react. Mm -hmm. So some children will like freak out like mom's gone. I'm with this strange person. What happens? If they have a secure attachment, they may get a little upset but they tend to settle down. They may play with the toys, whether they talk to the researcher or not. And then yeah. when the, the mom returns, they generally come for a hug and some comforting and settle down. Now, yeah. he sounds like he could be one of the other kinds. And that is when the mom leaves the room, the baby can do one of two things. They can freak the fuck out. And they're just like, oh, my God, you know, just having a fit like, oh, my God, I'm in this scary situation. And then when the yeah. mom returns, there's two ways they can react. They can either be this very clingy, like, oh my God, but then mad at them and kind of like, <laughs> yeah. how I'm, I'm hugging you, but damn you, you shouldn't have left me here in this scary yeah. thing. Or they're just like, mm-hmm, you're back. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. And they're ambivalent. And so when they get in relationship, like, of course, it's a human need. We need connection. So mm. when, when these two people in your... Uh, Q&A here, we're dating, his need for connection was probably met through the dating process and when they were having sex when they lived apart. Mm -hmm. But when you put someone in that situation where now we're living together under lockdown in these really extreme circumstances, if he hasn't worked through his own attachment issues, then that ambivalence or that anxiety in his attachment style is going to show up with the I just can't, I can't do this. Now I have performance anxiety. Why don't you just go be in the other room? Yeah. 
So that's it's to me what lot. it sounds like. It's that mismatch. And she has probably either the clingy attachment where you need, need, need more connection. Yeah. Or she could just be a secure attachment that's like, dude, now we live together. We sh- there should be more love. What's mm-hmm. up? Exactly. It's a really tricky situation because obviously, like, I I was basically in the same situation in my last relationship. And it got to a point where I did have to leave the relationship because I was trying for four years in that relationship to make that work and you get to a point and you're like you know what this isn't ever gonna work they're never gonna they're never gonna not be that lazy person they're never not gonna be like motivated to make the change like there's always gonna be that mismatch so it's it's a really it's a really tricky one because I don't want to just say like, you know, jog on. you've got to move on. <laughs> yeah. But it sounds like you've been having all the conversations that you need to have and you've got to make sure, like you've got to make sure that you are happy at the end yeah. of the day. Exactly. People show you who they are and we show each other who we are in times of stress. Yeah. And so, yes, this is an effed up situation. No one on the planet has ever lived through a pandemic like this. You know, so we don't have any models of how to work through a relationship in these crazy times. So, but if you're finding that when you really need that love and comfort and it's not there, then I would seriously question whether it's a good match. Because look, life is, even when the pandemic is over, it's not like life is never going to throw you any other curveballs. You know, you're going to get to a point where something happens. People die, there's loss, there's failures, there's all these things. And Mm -hmm. in a relationship, don't you want to be with someone with whom you can have this bond? And I'm not saying it has to be clingy, but you want to know that in times of stress and and duress, I want to be able to rely on my partner to not not push me away, (laughs) to not tell me to go sit in the other room, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's mad. That's quite extreme. 100%. I mean, this is your call, girl. <laughs> yeah, you've got yeah. the facts. Um, it's just whether or not you you're, you're willing to make. Yeah, I think the that balance. was really, really good advice, though, Andrea. Really so in, thank you. Really insightful. Thank man. you for that. <laughs> so, unfortunately, it's time for us to fuck off. Thank you so much for coming on that episode. It was a really amazing to get like a, like a medical professional's opinion mm. as well because it's rare that we do get to talk about this with a, with a professional. So thank you so much. Sweet. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. And where can our curious fuckers find everything and all that you're about? <laughs> oh, just Google me or visit my website, andreapennington.com and you'll find links to everything. Perfect. Amazing. Thank you. So if you like this episode, please remember to sub- subscribe, rate and review and also follow us on our Instagram at Come Curious, Florence Bark and Read Amber X. And me and at Dr. Andrea Pennington on Insta. Of course, I forgot yes. that. <laughs> yes. yes, that's the important <laughs> bit. <laughs> yeah, the Instagram is probably one yeah, of the most yeah. important things. Also, if you have a sex story or sex question you want, start, want us to answer, it's fksgivenpodcast at gmail.com can't talk today my words are all like merging into one Mm, it's all that like orgasmic (laughs) bliss mind power yes i've been breathing too much over here (laughs) um but we'll see you all next week here you all you'll hear us wow Bye. bye